0: Imagine suddenly without warning being forced into quarantine so you don't contaminate your family. Imagine suddenly without warning you no longer have access to your normal emotional comforts. Imagine suddenly without warning you have to give it to yourself. Imagine suddenly without warning you go from invincibility to sheer panic in one week. This is my story on how coronavirus saved my life. How Coronavirus Saved My Life, Episode 16, The Codependency. What exactly is codependency? According to Psychology Today, codependency is a dysfunctional relationship dynamic where one person assumes the role of the giver, sacrificing their own needs and well-being for the sake of the other, the taker. The bonded question doesn't have to be romantic. It can occur just as easily between parent and child, friends and family member. Codependency stems from being raised in a dysfunctional environment where usually there's one addictive parent or a parent with mental illness. To say that I've had issues with codependency is an understatement. Being raised by a narcissistic mother and then a father who was in and out of my life who had major addiction issues forced me to be raised on a foundation where my needs are always last. Through my shift in the past year and a half of recognizing my reactions to people, I have looked at the areas of my codependency issues. Sometimes they're so micro and small that it is hard to recognize And it can come in an instant. It can come in things like if I am talking to someone about something that I find interesting and they go, oh, okay. And I just like immediately go look it up on the internet to give them all this information when they can just look it up themselves or buying something off of Amazon for someone that didn't even ask me to buy anything. So having to train, retrain my brain to put my needs first and make myself a priority has been a struggle. Um, lots of my friends over the years I have met have been through working in the mental health field, and um, I am really good friends with someone who's a social worker, and her and I had this very intriguing conversation the other day about codependency in the African-American community. The things that she said were so profound to me and stopped me in my tracks that I felt I must interview her about this because it is so fascinating. I, in my white upbringing, um, there was never a sense of community, family, you know, it was always distant, walking on eggshells, ignoring each other, you know. And I think that's part of the reason why I've always been so drawn to the African-American culture and why I've dated predominantly African-American men, because there is this sense of community. After talking to my friend, Sandra, who works in mental health, there's also a price with that. So I want to introduce everybody to my friend, Sandra. How are you? Thank you for coming on my show today.
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this conversation.
0: Yes, um, and it's a conversation that was so surprising to me because, actually, you know, being happily divorced now, um, getting back into the dating scene, um, when I was dating this guy for about three months, he's the one that actually brought it to my attention, um, just casually, <laughs> you know, about how in his family and his community community and his culture is that everyone is put, um, first you do all these things. And maybe at the end of the day, you can tend to your needs, but it never seemed like he ever could tend to his needs. He was always putting his sister, his mother, his, um, father, all of these people, um, And at the end of the day, he had no time for our relationship. That's why it pretty much ended. And he always seemed frustrated and unhappy. And so I'm really glad that we're talking about this because this is not something that's new. And what also fascinates me is the roots of where all of this comes from. So before we get into all that, Sandra, can you give us a little bit of background information like where you were raised, what your upbringing was like um, and kind of where your journey has taken you and where you are now.
1: Okay. So I am uh, born and raised in Texas, Amarillo, Texas specifically, which is a big town, but small town. Um, Everyone pretty much who was black lived on one side of the town, which was the North side of Amarillo. And, um, in that community, it was definitely a community. We everyone knew everyone. Everyone went to the same churches in the area. We knew all the pastors. My family was very active in the community, so we were involved in, you know, educating people about Black history and culture. And so it was um, a, a very big community of just Black people who we had our own grocery stores, we had our own laundromats, um, we had our own hairdressers, we had everything on our side of town, so there was no need to go on the other side of the town. And so as far as racism goes, I didn't experience a whole lot of it unless I went on the other side of town. And so it didn't influence me as much, but I was very much involved in the African-American community. Um Then I left there and got married um well, I didn't get married right away. I left there and moved to Denton and moved in with my sister because whenever you leave home, you have to leave and go where a family member is um mm-hmm. and so I stayed with my sister and and we lived together for several years until um she I had a baby, she had a baby we went our separate ways, but we still were very much involved um with each other and stayed close. And let me just break right here because I want people to understand that um, what I'm talking about today is going to be based on my perspective, my um, experiences, um, what I've observed, what I've learned. And so by no means does this depict every Black family that I know, but it does hit a lot of people.
0: Yes. I le- Thank you for clarifying that. That's great.
1: hmm so um, once I did get I married, um, I had four kids with him. Um, we I worked very hard to create this family that my kids were taken care of, my home was taken care of. Um, even if other people didn't do their part, I I made sure to see about them first mm-hmm. and make sure they had everything they needed first, and. Uh, Over time, that became such a a serious problem for me that I was in severe depression and didn't even know it, Um, even even to the point of suicidal uh, because it was uh, because I was so unhappy and couldn't do anything about it because my responsibility was to make sure the household was good that i didn't even have time to figure out why i felt that way i just would know that i'd be driving down the street and thinking if someone hit me that would be okay cuz that would mean it would it would be over um <laughs> but after my um husband passed away i Went on this like journey, search, trying to figure out what am I going to do with myself <laughs> now that I'm not defined by this family because my kids are becoming adults, my my husband is gone, my other family members all have their families and they're you know taking care of themselves, doing well. So, kind of leaves you in a limbo whenever you're accustomed to taking care of everyone else. Um, so it sent me on a journey of figuring out what it is that I want to do and it's been a very interesting journey and it's been very difficult to not try to take over in areas that don't have anything to do with me mm-hmm. um <laughs> to allow my children to become who they want to become and um and and i think that it's been good because i've had to examine my whole perspective on life and Choose, start to choose me, because really, there's not a whole lot of other things to choose. So mm-hmm. my empty nesters is, has been a, a serious thing, and it's been more difficult than I thought it was going to be. But it's also been very um, eye opening and rewarding, really. So that's, you know, that's a general synopsis of my background. That, I I love it. Were you
0: talking about your kids? Uh, A friend of mine said recently, you know, she's having the same kind of shift of, you know, her son is an adult, you know, and can't, she can't control certain things, you know. But so but one thing that she said was, the more I involve myself, the more I'm responsible for the outcome. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I thought that was like such a good quote, she said. But that's, that's true because we... Want to make all these decisions for them when things go wrong, then we're trying to fix that. And if something Mm -hmm. else goes wrong, we're trying to fix that. But if things go well, then we want to take, you know, like, hey, I did this for you, and Mm -hmm. not allow them to have that, uh, I guess, that reward of doing something Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We kind of take away something from our kids when we do that to them, especially the learning experience that they need. Mm-hmm. Before it all out in their life. So,
0: right, right. Cause I mean, that's the way you learn is through experiences, whether you want to call them mistakes or re- the wrong decision. I mean, to me, nothing is wrong or right. It just is or leads you to a different way or shows you you know, this is not your path, you know, mm-hmm. or you need to take a different route or whatever, because people that I consider wise and smart are people that have been through a lot of stuff in their life, you know, exactly. and have over- had overcome adversity. Like that's just super highly attractive to me is that people that have overcome adversity and they're the wisest one. You don't learn by not having any sort of trials and tribulations, you know, yeah,
1: exactly. You really, you need that. And to take a step back, and allow your child to fail or to succeed. Um, mm-hmm. It's really hard to do, especially when you've um, raised this family that was really enmeshed. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So you've been very enmeshed. Everything you do is with the family. Everywhere you go is with the family. Yeah. Um, that's and, and then they have a hard time doing things by themselves. hmm um, because we've been so in mesh for so long.
0: Yes, so. yes, yes. I and that that guy that I dated, you know, I just he's great. I love him, you know. But he I mean, he lived in on a street where all of his family had all had all these houses, like his next door neighbor was his cousin. Yeah. And to mm-hmm. me that was so bizarre because us white folk, we don't we spread out and stay away. Like we are like loners, you know. But, you know, if you, it's like, you know, we were talking the other day, the reason why I'm like, we have to talk about this subject is because I was like asking you, like, did this come from the slave days? Like this whole enmeshment where everybody lived together?
1: Absolutely. Um, Really, because you talk about codependency, but realistically, I believe that codependency is what helped us survive. Mm -hmm. Because we only had each other. We we had to fight for each other. We had to stand up for each other. We wow. had to protect each other um, because there was no law that was going to help us. So there there was nothing that helped us but us. And so there's this this whole thought process is that we have to support each other, you know? So even with the spirit of reciprocity, um, like I have money now, so, and you don't, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you my money, even though I don't have very much because the next time I need something, then you'll be there for me. So I don't have to do anything to get it besides, you know, ask and tell you, I really need it. And you know, if I have it, I, I, there's this huge guilt that comes over you if you don't give it, but if you, if you do give it, then you know that the next time that I'm down and out, which is coming, you know, that's the whole thought process. I'm going to have my down and out times are coming. Then when you have something, then you can do it for me. So so the spirit of that reciprocity, you give you keep my kids while I work, and then I keep your kids while you work, because um, Black women have always worked, always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Back when they were having this movement so the, the white women could work, Black women were working. We were working outside of the home. And so we had to figure out how to make sure our home was cared for, our kids were cared for. We were able to go to work. We were able to make sure everybody had something to eat. That was a community affair. Because we had to help each other in order to survive.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you talk about this, I just all I all I feel is like fight and flight, like just the sort of survival mode, you know. It's like, you know, I know like the very first guy I ever had sex with um was African American and, you know, he was considered a player, you know, because he, you know, did all you know, was dating all these girls and having sex with all these girls and I used to think, wow, what a jerk, you know, but he was 14 like I was and his mom worked full time and his older sister was angry because she was raising him in this small apartment and he was just looking for love like everybody else was.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so in order to get his needs met, he did it the only way he knew how
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: there was no one to teach him anything else. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Because his dad wasn't, you know, I don't even know if he knew his dad, but you know, that's just so fascinating. Like, and you hear, a, that's a lot, like you hear a lot of that, like with African American, especially like males, like the mom was always working mm-hmm. and, you know, the sister was raising. I don't know. I just, I see and hear that a lot. You know, it's, it's fascinating is. So let me ask you, like when you're working, are you, Are you just working, working, working? Are you thinking about, man, I wish I was home with my kids? Like, what kind of goes through your mind?
1: Well, I was definitely one that worked while my kids were little. Um, Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be at home. And I was exhausted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was exhausted. I wanted to be with my kids. But because I was exhausted when I got home, it was hard to like engage with them. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted, you know, play with them, find mm-hmm. the energy to do fun things. Because once I got home, I got to cook dinner. So right. I got to cook dinner. I got to make sure everybody did their homework, their chores, their um, uh, whatever it is that needed to be done. And so it, it was. You were in work mode at work. You were in work mode at home. So mm-hmm. yeah, you you I I wanted to be home with my yeah. kids. And I was kind of angry with my husband because he was, he was at home with kids and, and he blamed me for not being there. Mm. And, you know, he was upset with me because I didn't have the energy to engage with him either. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it was very, it's difficult because you're sacrificing to make sure your family has their needs met. Mm-hmm. but you're you're blamed because you're not yeah. able to meet your yeah.
2: needs
0: <laughs> right right and and then you know you're like in this fight or flight all the time and then you can only go on for and you so you can't meet anybody's needs especially your own and I mm-hmm. can see why people would be depressed and have suicidal thoughts because where do you go with that where do exactly. you go from that you know
1: yeah and it, and it's it's like it's never ending. It just continues and continues, mm-hmm. and you know, I, obviously, I know that it doesn't ne continue, continue now because my youngest just turned eighteen. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: of the seven children that I raised, I've got them all up at it. Well, sort of out of the house. That's a whole nother story.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listen, that'll be epi- another episode. We'll talk about that. <laughs> That's um,
1: parenting adults yeah yeah
0: exactly exactly (laughs) let me ask you this Sandra so when you're okay so this whole like thing that's ingrained okay is it something that's just taught through behavior like your parents doing that too that everybody just doing it or is it something that's spoken is it both is like how it's both it's
1: both because like growing up, you're taught, you know, you help your brother because he needs you, or wow, um, you're taught you you do this because I do that, you know. It, it's taught, mm. you are told these things as well as you see it. Because in my home, um, my mother took care of the neighborhood, so wow, people stayed with us. Like, mm. and there's this whole thing with play cousins. Uh, god mama god brother god sister Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. they become family so um we had a whole family and she had like six kids and my mom had five so she came and stayed with us because she was moving from another city and she needed somewhere to stay and instantly i got play cousins um who are still called cousin today you know they're still considered family Um, so once, you know, you bring someone into your, your, I guess, into the family, into the neighborhood, into the community, they have a special place. And so you attend to their needs as well. So it's not even just taking care of your immediate family. You're taking care of people outside of your home. And, you know, it's a blessing to her because she has so many people who love her Mm-hmm. who want to be there for now in her elderly years mm-hmm. and you know so but that's what we're supposed to do that, yeah. that's one of those things that's taught It's like i took care of you and your kids and your family when y'all are down and out and now that i'm older your kids are coming around checking on me bringing me food so that it, it continues it's passed on and passed on mm-hmm. through the actions through words deeds all of that so yeah you're definitely it's a culture it's basically a culture of how we live our lives.
0: Wow. Wow. That is just fascinating. Does, I mean, does anyone ever stop and like go, what do I need to do to take care of myself first? Like, is that, I mean, would that just be like the most shocking, like, what is the consequence of that? Or is that not even a thought anybody would have?
1: No, there's absolutely a consequence to that. Oh. So the person that steps out and says, because it happens. That's mm-hmm. why I said this. this is not every single person Every single mm-hmm. black person So there are people who decide To take care of themselves Physically, take vacations mm-hmm. um, You know, separate themselves From the rest of the community And only take care of their family They're called bougie Sididi. Really? Sadidi <laughs>
0: Sadidi? Yeah, Sadidi yeah, I <laughs> sounds so white when I say Sadidi Um. <laughs> Um, I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Bougie? Uh, like, I've heard bougie. So what does bougie mean?
1: Bougie uppity. Oh, um, okay. So that person is uppity. Like you you can't be here for nobody else. Oh, you just want to, oh, you just going to go to do your own thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Oh, oh, that's how you're going to act. You know, so yeah, there, there's definitely a negative connotation to a person who separates themselves, chooses to live their own lives. And, and if they got a little bit of money,
2: mm-hmm.
1: oh, yeah, they're really bougie. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You, oh, you being bougie now. Okay, well, you go on, you go to do your thing then. And we're going to go over here. Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. Cause, like, okay, so like my like foundation, like childhood programming is like, you know, I did have, I guess you could say bougie, you know, white relatives. And, you know, I didn't like them just because they were racist and they were very stiff. They weren't authentic, you know, for just from the time I was a little kid, I never really enjoyed them because I never liked hanging out with them on holidays because it was, they were just not authentic. And then as I've shifted, I can, I, and that was sort of in my mind, like success, like my programming says, if you're a millionaire, if you're successful like this and own businesses, you are not a good person. And so I've had to retrain my brain, like, you absolutely can be a good person and be successful. That's not the norm. You know, you can be totally successful and be a good person. And now I'm a business owner and I'm kind of changing that game for myself and my brain. So is, so is, is, is it money that's looked at as bougie or just like also like success? Like is what is success like to, to the
1: community? Well, success is a person who has money, money, Mm -hmm. um, and is doing well on their own. So that's why like when you see is some rappers, some people, some black people who do succeed, um, they struggle. I've heard many say they struggle because family members, extended family reach out for that money. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're coming at you. If you got mm-hmm. a little bit of money, they they're coming at you. And the expectation is because you have money, like I said before. Because you have money, I need help with something. So mm-hmm. you, should, you should help me. You got plenty of money. You can help me. I, wow. I'm just asking for a thousand dollars. That's wow. Not, that's nothing to you.
0: Wow. So and you're yeah. expected to share every single thing you have.
1: Like yes. wow. Yes. And so that's so why I said a lot of um like rappers, artists, you know, businessmen and all that, they struggle with that particular aspect of going back home. Is because you go back home, you got a little money, you flossing, then mm-hmm. you got some money to give. You can you can help the community out. You can help us out. Wow! Um, because you have it now, so they struggle with that of uh, cutting off because they have to cut certain people off because there's never going to be enough that you can give. Right, right. To and satisfy I just, everyone that yeah. wants something from you.
0: Yeah. And I wonder like how many like one hit wonders, why they were one hit wonders, because they were felt so much shame and guilt about being successful.
1: Right. And then they like bottomed themselves out trying to help everybody else out. And now Mm -hmm. they can't do any more of what they were doing because, you know, it costs money to make money. Mm
2: -hmm. So um,
1: they are busy trying to give out and help out. And I'm not saying all, but I've heard some artists struggle with this particular aspect of success. And mm-hmm. then yeah, you know, dealing with relatives, family members, community members, you know, the old friends from high school, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. never ending, you know, it's never ending. Right. Um,
0: That's just so interesting. So so definitely you're setting boundaries is like not is frowned upon, like if you're ooh. trying to set boundaries.
1: Oh yeah. Setting boundaries, people, oh, that is really tough. Ooh. <laughs> you set a solid boundary. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's when you really get ostracized. Of, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, sh- she's too good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, she's funny, funny acting. That's a big one. Oh, wow. Wow. Funny
0: acting. Oh my gosh. I love oh, it. <laughs>
1: you, oh, you acting funny. Oh, you're gonna be funny acting. <laughs>
0: oh my god. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Uh yeah, people would definitely be saying I am funny acting.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, if you're doing your own thing and you're not allowing me to either to help tell you what you need to be doing. Oh Lord. Or, you know, my my what I would do, this what I would do if I was you. Well, you're not me. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. know my experience. Right. You don't know what, it, you've never had anything, so you don't know what it takes mm-hmm. to do any of what I'm talking about. So why should I listen to you? Right. That's, my, that's my thought process now. Why am I listening to you? Right.
0: You don't even know my needs. You don't you <laughs> even even ask me what my needs are. and You're trying to tell me what I need to do, you know? right?
1: And I tell you, okay, mm-hmm. well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm running my business myself. I'm going to mm-hmm. be doing this. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, okay. So you acting funny now. <laughs> oh, wow. Gosh. Wow. Okay.
0: That's so interesting. I might be saying that now to somebody. You acting funny. Um. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'll be like, what? What? <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay. So kind of back to the origins of this. So, Back to like the slave days, it was like ingrained because y'all, all you had was one another to depend, or it was like death, like nobody was helping you,
1: right? Mm-hmm.
0: And then, like, once laws passed and there was no more slaves, then you and I, this is was was so fascinating to me was like, now we've got religion,
1: yeah, religion that's a big, big one because in religion, you know. It teaches about piety and, you know, being Mm -hmm. just um, not glorifying wealth and, you know, money and things like that. But the the funny thing about religion, though, is that it's something that was taught to us. And, of course, only the parts that really mattered to the slave owners would be taught, like Mm -hmm. to serve your master as unto God. Um, those things because (laughs) black people weren't allowed to read. So we wouldn't be able to read the Bible for ourselves to find out anything else about that particular passage. So we were taught certain things and how to live based on religion in order to be um, considered good Christians uh, in order to expect to go to heaven. Very important things, you know, to want to go to heaven, not to hell. Um, so that we took that religion upon ourselves and implemented these rules of the family, the rules for our lives. And we only had a portion of the Bible, the, the part that mm-hmm. said that we were supposed to serve and be subservient um, and that we had to be pious and we had to uh, follow these these different rules. And that was all to the glory of God. So but we, a religion played like a double role because it gave us something to hope for. Mm-hmm. in order to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Th- it's, it's not going to be like this always. And, you know, when we get to heaven, we can walk all over heaven, heaven.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you acting funny. I'm just
1: <laughs> when we get to heaven, go walk all over heaven. Um, so we would cling to that in order to have something to look forward to because our situation wasn't going to change. Um, but at the same time, it kind of put us under a this ironclad fist of how it is that we had to live that wasn't good for us. So in yeah. and, and a, and a thought process of this is how it has to be so that I can get to heaven and I can be able to you know, pass this on to my family so they can get to heaven. So I have to pass this information down because I'm concerned about their salvation. I want them to go to heaven, too. So, yeah, they taught us how to live based on religion that we knew of. Because, like I said, we couldn't read it, you know, in Mm -hmm. slavery times. So, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and once that got ingrained in that group of people, it it became generational, generational, passed down, passed down, passed down. Mm.
0: And that's like this psychological... Manipulation to something that's yeah. like,
2: Absolutely. you can't even,
0: like, it's, it's, I don't even know how to describe it. It is, um, it's just kind of the, one of the most horrible things I've ever heard, you know, it just being, it, you know, holding somebody physically and then emotionally we're doing this.
1: Yes. So we're holding you physically, we're going to keep you in your place. Um, So we're going to psychologically hold you hostage to something. And then we're going to train you to make sure that you make sure your kids know, but that was to save their own lives, to save their kids' lives. Even though people were mistreated, families were separated, people were killed. um, You had to do whatever you had to do to save your life and save your kids' lives. And adhering to the rules or whatever it is they said was how you did that and um but the problem is as time goes on and we get further and further away from slavery some of the good things that we had um that brought the community together is being lost Mm. so like what well in um You were always, when I was a kid, especially, you were taught you had to respect your elders. Um, You listened to your family members. You, you know, you tried to be a good person by doing Mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z, staying out of trouble, all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. based on what the Bible said. Because when you're talking to an old parent, they say, You just pray about it. God will take care of it. Give it to God. Mm. Trust God. You know, but as we're getting old as our kids are getting older, they are starting to challenge some of that, and losing what I would consider the good parts of what religion gave us mm-hmm. um, losing some of that respect um for your elders, for your community, mm-hmm. respect for your respect for yourselves so There were some good things that came out of, you know, being a community, but also, of course, it always has the downside of, you know, that you have to take care of other people at all costs. Um, Big Mama was a big part of our community back in the day. Big Mama was the one that took care of everybody. Mm. Big Mama made sure we had dinners, made sure the kids had somewhere to stay. Make sure you know. Make sure people were doing the right things in the house and being respectful. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't, you didn't challenge Big Mama. Big yeah, Mama she was, was the she, matriarch. Yes, and Big Mama didn't even have to be your mama. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I had a
0: Big Mama. Probably nicer than my mama. <laughs> big Mama did was
1: not necessarily your mother. <laughs> yeah, but you did what Big Mama said because Big Mama said it. Now, Big Mama died in her late fifties and early sixties. Yeah, from what? COPD and a heart attack.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: high blood pressure. And high friends. blood pressure, something. <laughs> yeah, but you know, when Big Mama was alive, you did everything that Big Mama said because that was respectful, and she was the one who dictated what the direction of the family, the community. Hmm. Um. What were we talking about?
0: So so we so there's no more big mamas anymore? Is that what's going on?
1: Yeah, big mamas kind of lost. Um mm-hmm. because and like I said, big mama did die early. Yeah, but, probably because she didn't put her own needs first. Exactly. That's that's the mm-hmm. point I'm trying to get at. But what what it was that it established was that respect. Mm-hmm. That for the older people. Mm-hmm. And that wisdom you were talking about, mm-hmm. she has lots of gold nuggets mm-hmm. of wisdom, you know, just from the trials and tribulations of her own life mm-hmm. and what she's observed and helped people get through. She knew some things. Um, but no, she did not take care of herself. Typically, the high blood pressure, typically diabetes, um, things, little silent killers that, you know, mm-hmm. think mama got in her sleep last night um mm-hmm. cuz she didn't get health care either. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a whole nother issue with not trusting authority and healthcare mm-hmm, systems. Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that that's a whole nother level of, you know, what's going on in the black community with not getting a vaccine or not getting uh not believing that the coronavirus is real and things like mm-hmm. that. That's that's a whole nother level right there. Mhm um go ahead
0: go ahead oh sorry um so yeah that is just that is so fascinating so uh, what i what you said earlier about the younger generation is now questioning you know it sounds like it sounds to me like that you know like you said the respect is not is there and maybe some entitlement is now there you know yeah. Um, yeah, which is, uh, it seems like a lot of, um, kids, no matter what race I don't. And, but it's like, there's this entitlement and like no coping skills. I don't know what's happening. Like, I guess like when you do something for everyone, when you do something for someone, this is kind of the consequence of that. When you take care of somebody, everybody's needs and don't let them make mistakes and those things, this is kind of like, to me, that's the kind of consequence of that is having entitlement and no coping skills.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. That's yeah. a real problem because I know that we probably gave our kids too much, but that was all mm-hmm. in an effort to try to make their lives better than our own mm-hmm. um, when we were growing up. But yeah, there is this sense of And then after desegregation happened, um, my my sister actually was a part of the desegregation, and she remembers having to leave her school where it was all black kids, all black teachers and then having to go to a all-white school where her hated her she said wow. it was the worst experience of her life oh
0: my goodness
1: was having to go from being loved because they would cook like lunches were um warm ham and cheese sandwiches and mm-hmm. they would have green beans and you know good food <laughs> yeah we that was really good food, and then she was going to the public school system on the other side of the town, where they were having like little mini pizzas and things like that. so um that was a big transition, and having to be bused, of course, mm-hmm. and then the teachers didn't like her, the kids didn't like her, no one wanted her there. Wow, that was the worst experience she hated having to go to another school. But, with desegregation happened, um black people got to see how other people live, right, which was different from how we live
2: Mhm, and
1: then they saw that um their white friends get to have this and get to go have do that, and they you know they got to take mm-hmm. care of their their own needs mm-hmm. it was totally different from what home looked like, which looked good, and so then they start to question, well, why am I? giving up my toys yeah (laughs) and this kid over here gets to keep all their toys and they have a lot of toys i have two toys and i have to give up one and they have 10 toys and they get to have all their toys why do i have to give up my toys so it kind of changed the thought process of And make them ask questions. Mm -hmm. Why does this look different? This guy looks like he's really happy with all his toys. And I have to give up one of my toys. So Mm -hmm. that, that made people ask questions. Why do we live the way we live? Wow. And when they started asking questions, it made it difficult to answer because no one had really stopped to think, why do we live this way? We live this way because we're supposed to. But when you get questioned about that, it's hard to answer. Even with religion, they started asking questions about, well, why do I have to do this in religion? Why does Mm -hmm. the Bible say this? Do Mm -hmm. I really believe this? Oh Wow. Yeah. So when you talk about culture, black culture, and all that makes up this culture, It's so many layers, Um, layer upon layer of why it is we are who we are today. And of course, as individuals, we have our own experiences with things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we formulate our own opinions about how we want to live based on these experiences. And our kids are getting out more and more and doing all kinds of like they're traveling the country. They're traveling Mm -hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Seeing how other people live, which makes them question how they or their families live, so they become a part of that group of people that you are saying are high-minded or sadity
2: mm-hmm. because
1: they don't want to believe what we all believe. I, I guess there's some good, good aspects to that. And then, you know, we do lose something. Absolutely mm-hmm. lose a part of what makes us us. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's also kind of like that thing where we think the grass is greener on the other side, but there, there's just more grass.
1: Yes, there is. So that, that community that you're emulating, they don't have their own set of issues. Mm-hmm. They have their own set, the whole set of issues that you've never dealt with before, because that's not a part of what you know, create some form of despair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It could could create some despair in a person because once they get to the other side and they say, wait, this is a problem too. Mm -hmm. Um, But it does force you to make some decisions about how you want to live, which is the Mm -hmm. crossroads that I'm at. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm at that crossroads of how do I want to live? How do I want to set up my life Mm -hmm. that includes my culture, but also gives me time to set, you know, healthy boundaries, Mm -hmm. um, to set up a lifestyle that includes the people that I want to be around and who want to be around me. Um, not just because you're family, not just because you're my god brother or my play cousin,
2: mm-hmm. but because
1: these are the people who helped lift me up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Iron, one of the biblical sayings, I'm not even sure if this is in the Bible, iron sharpens iron. I believe it is. <laughs> iron sharpens iron. So why would I hang around with people who have nothing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and who don't want nothing, not just not have anything, but not don't want anything better for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I want to be around people who do want better for themselves and who are reaching for those goals and working diligently to get there so that I can be the success that I want to be. And that's not always going to be people from my own culture. Right, right, right. That's going to branch out to all kinds of people. Really, when you start looking at people from that perspective, um, which once again goes back to you don't want to be around your people or you don't want to help your people or you Mm -hmm. don't want to, and it's not true. I'm helping my people in another way. I want to do it by example.
0: Right. Right. And, and like, when you don't want to help your people, I mean, that's just like guilt trip, emotional blackmail, which has probably been ingrained as well. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, absolutely. It is a, a form of blackmail to say it is your duty and responsibility to, do all of these things for other people because you have because you're doing better and I'm actually struggling with that with my kids as well because I'm trying to give them that sense of community mm-hmm. but at the same time I'm trying to help them be more autonomous which is kind of dichotomous I mean <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. yeah that's just you know
0: what's so fascinating to me because like through my own journey I've gone through phases where i didn't feel like i deserved something that's just because being raised you know by a narcissist mother who you know is constantly gaslighting me and manipulating me and so it's like and i never really had a good example of somebody earning something like you know earning something i don't want to say appropriately but like you know like my mom like her moods would fluctuate if there was a trust fund check in the mail or not So, so, I mean, I'm like, I have a degree, I'm successful, but it's like this worthiness deserve thing, you know? And recently I realized like, I've never said things to myself, like, I am so proud that I earned a master's, you know, I am so proud that I bought this house. I am so proud. Yeah. And you don't ever really hear other people say they're proud of themselves. It's like, you might hear someone say, I'm proud of my children. Well, you know, like, what are you proud of? Like, you're like, so it's also, it's also this sort of what I'm hearing too is similar to mine. It's like this worthiness, deservability. It's like, you know, like, has anybody in your community, your family said, Sandra, I am so proud of you. Look at where you've come, how far you've come. Look at you. Do, you've done all of these things. Like, has, does anybody ever say that?
1: Yeah, actually, they do because they know where I came from. Yeah. So, I mean, my family, they were not poor family mm-hmm. we had we had everything we had everything we needed i had everything i wanted you know so
2: mm-hmm.
1: it wasn't because my father was one of the few who and i actually was one of the few families that had a father in the home mm. um he worked at a very good job at a government facility he worked there for 40 years mm. um so he was able to provide for us always but when i left home um I struggled, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I struggled and my family was there to help me through those struggles. They, they, there was never a time I felt like that I wouldn't have a place to stay if I lost my Mm -hmm. place, because I knew that I could always go stay with my family. Mm
2: -hmm. One of
1: my family members was like, come stay with me. You'll be with me. Or if -hmm. you need some money, they would make sure I have it. Or if we were traveling, like I wanted to go home and visit for Thanksgiving, um and I didn't have the money. They were like, "If you got enough gas to get here, I'll pay for you to get home." Wow. Um, yeah. So that was always that's part of that community thing that that was a given. That was going to happen, um, regardless. But um, I got lost in my train of thought. I was going. I was making a point.
0: Well, we were talking about how, like, you know, people do they say, "I'm proud of you. How oh,
2: far yeah. you've come." Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So based on that. They know that I was raising these kids. Um, I eventually did get married and did have, you know, my husband of my kids. But it wasn't an ideal situation. And so I most of the time was the breadwinner. And for most of that, I didn't have a degree. So I was taking very menial jobs that paid very little while trying to raise a family. And so they've seen me go like I went to college and I got a degree as a paramedic associate's degree then I went to school and back to school and got another associate's degree I just knew I needed to go to school yeah yeah let me keep going to school (laughs) I just kept going to school (laughs) because I was always reaching for more trying to get better it's just Mm -hmm. my situation wasn't changing so I went I got an interior design degree because that's what I wanted to do oh wow then I finally uh, got a pretty decent job, but it was in such, you know, poor conditions that it was very difficult for me to go to work. I hated that job.
2: Mm-hmm. That's when I
1: decided to go back to school. I said, well, I guess two, a two-year degree plus a two-year degree does not equal a bachelor's degree. <laughs> <laughs> so let me go back to school and get my bachelor's degree. And that's when I decided to go into the military. I was 35 years old. And I went into the military because once again, I'm reaching, trying to get better, trying, 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 never giving up. So I went to the military. I got my bachelor's degree. I got my master's degree. I got my license. And so, you know, from that point, that's when things started to get better for me. So everyone who's watched me go through this process while raising all my kids, because I had my first child at 19, um... They have seen where I came from on welfare, with housing. I had every type of government assistance, I think, ex- that existed at that time. Mm. Um, JTPA, AFDC, you know, TANF, Section 8. I had it all.
0: But <laughs> all, the, all the letters and the numbers.
1: Every letter you can think of, I had it all. All because I was trying to do better. And so coming mm-hmm. from being on Section 8 housing to where i am today they've seen the progress so yes many people have told me that they're proud of me and i am proud of you know the progress that i've made i do know where i came from the difficulties and the hardships and i feel good about the changes that i've made in my life to improve it um so yeah i hear that and i tell other people that I'm proud of them when they're making progress because I know that type of uh, verbal confirmation helps people to want to continue on and work harder and do better for themselves. Mm-hmm. I encourage them to do better for themselves because yeah. I know what difference that's going to make in their own lives. And once you, and once you get to a point and here's the thing though, once you get to a point where you're doing better for yourselves, it's, it's incumbent upon me to reach back and help someone else.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's probably why I'm in the helps profession of social work, because mm-hmm. I want to be able to pass down like some of the difficulties that I went through, how I managed to get through them mm-hmm. to help the, people be able to get through there. Yes.
0: yes. So it sounds like you are now like the big mama.
1: I wouldn't quite put myself in the big mama role yet. <laughs>
0: I'm not saying you're about to have a stroke, but okay, let's say you <laughs> let's say let's say you are a big mama and let's say it doesn't matter, you know, younger generation, now generation, if they asked you, I really want to make myself a priority.
1: I would is- encourage that. Yes. I would encourage that because After, um, okay, let me just say this. I would encourage them to make themselves a priority. But at the same time, I don't know that I would want them to be completely separated from the community. Mm -hmm. Because I guess I still have in me this um, obligation that we have to help each other because yeah. people, black people are still going through a lot of struggles, especially our black men. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they don't lose the fact that you are part of something bigger.
0: Yeah. Because community like that's love, right? Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. I just, that's just love, you know, can mm-hmm. talk, you know, hanging out, talking about your struggles, like talking about your adversities and overall overcoming them or having an adversity, like it, that is, that is like love. I mean, cause that's where human connection is, is exactly. talking about our stories. And there's so many different stories in that community.
1: Yes, there are. And, and you can learn something from each one of those stories. Mm-hmm. Either you can lo- learn what to do or you can learn what not to do. Mm-hmm. in those yeah. stories. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I would, I would want someone to take care of themselves, but I really believe there's gotta be a, a, a mix. Of, balance. Uh, you a balance exactly so that you are taking care of your own needs but making sure to be available if you are able and if you are willing
2: mm-hmm.
1: to help someone else right so but not do it out of obligation do it out of love right out of
0: unconditional love with not expecting anything in return
1: yeah yeah not obligation I don't think it should be an obligation. It's something you choose to do. Yeah. And I really believe that's where the blessing comes from. Yes. Because yes. you are blessed when you see someone else doing well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even if they give you nothing else in return, just seeing that they're better, they're on their feet, they're happy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're building their own family. That that brings me a sense of meaning. Yeah. Purpose. And, with, you know, I think purpose is very important. Um, I think the without purpose, people struggle with being able to live.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: if you are doing really well, but you have no connection to anyone or anything, how well are you really doing? Right. Right.
0: Yeah. That is yeah. just, that's just everything that you have said is so beautiful. I just, I mean, there's. So many things I'm just taking in. Like, I just, I think this conversation, this is just the beginning of this conversation because there's so many different areas to explore. And I cannot wait to publish this episode because... <laughs> If these are things like I mean it's with me and my white community we don't even talk to each other but hey um, but like you know this is not something that we discuss I mean you know and because and, we don't talk you know there's no love there's no communication there's no sense of family you know and so I just I yes we need to make sure that isn't lost like it's ter- ter- perfectly fine and please like please make yourself a priority when you heal others heal just automatically when you heal yourself and, and make yourself a priority but like, don't, yeah, don't lose the family and community because I never had that growing up. And that's, I had to find it for myself, still, still finding it. You know what I mean? And so I just, I just love everything that you said. It's just, just so fascinating and eye opening. And I can't wait for it to hear people's responses. I'm excited.
1: Yeah that, yeah, that will be very interesting to see re- uh, people's responses. But like like I said once before, I want to say if in just in case somebody didn't hear the beginning. <laughs> I am speaking from my perspective. By no means should you take this information and believe that you know Black people because everybody's experience is a little different. Right. So um, yeah. I think that's a very insulting thing for someone to say they read something, heard something, so they know what it's mm-hmm. like. For yeah, black people. Exactly. people. That, that is insulting because you you don't know me you don't know my experience you don't know where i come from which mm-hmm. may not be what from where you um read it or heard it mm-hmm. it can be ask ask yes. uh, black people don't mind talking about their yes. experience if yes. there's someone is genuinely interested mm-hmm. and and showing that they you know i don't know everything but i i am interested and i want to know about what happened with, just like you're doing with me Mm -hmm. Um, I don't mind talking about the things that, you know, brought me to this position or, or as a community, what that looks like if someone is very genuine about it.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I you just light bulbs going off in my head because growing up, I could never ask questions about anything or I was, you know, psychologically tortured, you know, Mm. um, or all hell would rain down on me. So like, I didn't speak very much as a child. I was quiet, meek and mild. Um, But now as an adult, I mean, that's all I do is ask questions because I want to know the answer to everything. Like, why is it this? Why are something that, but I love how you said, it's based on individual experience because yeah, I mean, it's, everything's different. Everyone has their own experience. Like my sister and I, you know, we both have the same father, but we have different experiences. And so even in the same family, you know, so
2: mm-hmm. it's
0: it's all just so fascinating. Well, Sandra, thank you so much for, for letting me ask you these questions. I have probably a thousand more later on, but <laughs> I love you so much. I'm so happy you're my friend. You're just awesome. Thank you. I'm
1: so happy to be your friend as well. So I enjoy talking with you and I appreciate you asking the question so we can educate the public a little bit more on the African-American culture and why we are where we are. So that's a
2: great opportunity.
0: Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
2: You too. Bye-bye.